We ready? All right, guys, if everybody can make sure their phones are on silent. Gina, we're going to roll, set. just so you know. Okay. Am I good from this distance? Yeah, you're mic? fine. Okay. You're casual. You're good. Ready? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of the Candace Owens show and one that I am very excited um, to bring to the forefront of the discussion. Um, I always make the comment that there is not enough discussion between black conservatives and black liberals. For whatever reason, I invite so many black liberals on to my show and despite their willingness to tweet at me, to tweet about me, to write articles about me, uh, they never take me up on that offer, which always leads me to the question, do they actually believe what they believe? You see, I'll go into any room and defend my positions because I actually think what I say that I believe is true. I'm very excited that one person I instantly messaged on Twitter and he said, yes, let's do it. Come on, I'll come right on the show. Um, Mark Lamont Hill. Mark Lamont is a professor, a tenured professor at Temple University. Um, he teaches media studies. Mark Lamont Hill, welcome to the Candace Owens Show. Thank you for having me. I'm very this, excited. This is going to be here. interesting. It is. <laughs> um, and I think it's good because people need to realize you can have a discussion with somebody that disagrees with you. Yeah. And, and I actually, one person I forgot to mention that disagrees with me, but we have so much love between each other, is Killer Mike. I yeah. think he's one of the greatest leaders in the black community. We are totally on different pages. He was pro-Bernie and I'm pro-Trump, uh, but he cares and he knows that I care and we read a lot of the same books and we have slight disagreements, but ones that are, I think, important to talk about publicly. Um, so let's get right into, obviously, the hot topic of today, um, which was um, the killing of George Floyd, uh, the protests that have ensued all across the country because of that, yeah. and my comments, which seem to have shocked the world um, about me not believing um, that he was deserving of this martyr status, meaning four funerals. I think now we're actually at five funerals publicly, a golden casket, uh, the vice president showing up at his funeral, um, or I, I think eventually he decided to just do a video, the former vice president, yeah, yeah. Joe Biden, and celebrities there. And I thought that that actually sent um, not a great message publicly. To the yeah, I saw your comments. Yeah. I was like, oh, why did you say that? What did you think about my comments? Oh, in fact, I was watching them this morning again. Uh, I thought they were off base. I think, I, I think you pointed out some things that may be factually true, but are beside the point. So to say, for example, that George Floyd uh, had a criminal past, true, right? Uh, I don't know if, whether there's drugs in the system or not. You know, I want to see a little more evidence. But let's 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 say for a moment that the autopsy reports that we say are correct. Both of them, the Both, private one and private and public yeah. so far, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't see an argument for why that should make any difference. Now, you conceded that what the police officer did was wrong, mm -hmm. which I appreciated. Because if we don't start there, then of it's course. not a good faith argument, right? Then it's like, what are we talking about? Mm -hmm. The problem is those things can be a can be used as a distraction from the, the, the point that you did touch on, which is that this was wrong and that state violence is wrong, mm -hmm. uh, no matter who it's against. And to me, whether he was on drugs, whether he robbed 10 stores is irrelevant to this particular conversation. Mm. Yeah, no, I think so. For me, I think it's actually very relevant and not to, I, I, I wasn't saying that to overshadow the conversation. I actually didn't think that the shadow, that the conversation was being overshadowed because it was the actually the first time that there was a full consensus left and right that this police officer was wrong. There was nobody disputing it. I mean, even in the Trayvon Martin situation, you had left and right, different 
opinions, different beliefs of what actually took place. This one, it was just rock solid across the board. Everybody agreed, um, mm. including the, the police station. I mean, the, the chief of police came out and said that it was completely wrong, uh, you know, who was a black chief of police in Minneapolis. Um, the fastest process ever um, to investigate it and to get him arrested. So, I mean, in terms of justice being served, it was immediate. Um, so what I didn't understand, you know, was why we had the response of protests um, when justice was served, right? You're usually protesting because you've been aggrieved or there's been a wrong and you're looking for something to be corrected. This was not that circumstance. And then on top of that, there was a glorification happening of him where people were actually saying that this was a he was a hero. We had little kids wearing T-shirts calling him, you know, George Floyd hero in these marches. I was looking at these T-shirts and that's wrong. I just I can't get behind that. This I mean, if your point is that you're defending black lives, this whole platform is supposed to be about black lives. George Floyd spent his entire life harassing black people and, and destroying black lives. So how I just don't see how, how it can be both. That's fair. Uh, so, uh, it's it's. I would disagree with that. Let me. So the first point is, there, the justice, justice wasn't done yet, right? One officer at the time of the protest, one officer was arrested. There were three who stood there with their hands in their pockets, doing nothing, watching him die. They were complicit, and there was there was no there were they were fired, right? But they weren't arrested. So you felt they should have been arrested immediately. Uh, they were rookies. So I, I, I mean, I was trying to be a little sensitive to the fact, and I, I still don't know how I feel about that. Like they were rookies. It was their third or second day on the job. This guy was a senior you know, had a senior position. He's been here for years. Yeah. They were probably, you know, second or third day on a job, you're looking at this guy and you're going, this must be the right thing to do, you, you know. But, but if, if everyone in America could see that this was the wrong thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, bipartisan agreement that this is not what we're supposed to do. Um, again, there, there is there is a herd mentality. There's a gang mentality that often occurs, even with police, sometimes especially with police, where you see something awful happen and nobody wants to be that person to say, hey, stop. But that's the job. Especially a rookie, though. But, but I, I can't let him off the hook for Even that. Even if I was at, if I was my first day at Starbucks and I saw a manager stuffing cash into his pocket, my first or second day, I'm not, I'm not going to be the person to raise that issue that's, because that's, you're that's, just going, I don't know if this is supposed to be going on, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And again, I'm yeah, not saying- but that's a bad example because but, that's but not doing harm. What if you saw on the first day the manager spitting in someone's coffee? You wouldn't say, oh, I don't, I'm a rookie. Maybe that's how you, we do things You here. could imagine as that's happening live that- mm -hmm. Somebody might just be looking around versus if, I'm, if I've been there for a few years, I'm going to be like, what the heck did you just do? Because you're not comfortable in, in a mm -hmm. job in your first couple of days. Everybody's a new person. So I was a much more sympathetic to the ones that were standing by. I'm not defending them, but I'm saying I tried to be a little more understanding. Derek Chauvin, you look at and you're like, this guy has been working on his police force forever. Right. He's the one doing all this stuff. They just looked like uncomfortable idiots. Right. And that's what they I think they were. Right. But, th but that's why I'm going to the point of people didn't feel like justice. It wasn't like, oh, we got our justice, but let's tear shit up anyway. Can I say, can I curse? Yeah, yeah. People were like, you know, we, you know, we just tear shit up anyway. People were, wanted accountability from these four officers and they didn't get it. And mm -hmm. so, and whether we think it was fast or slow is not really the point. I'm just saying I would dispute the idea that, that Justice was solved, and we, and we kept going anyway. The other point here that you raised, which is an interesting one, is about um, – well, actually, let me say one more thing about the first point. The other thing here was these protests weren't just about George Floyd. They were about, they were about a sea of issues, and this was like the, the culmination point, which often happens in history, and we can talk about that. The, the other thing, though, um, I think about raising him to the level of hero, first of all, I think whenever someone is eulogized, right, and these were national public eulogies, we don't say, yeah, but – Right. When we eulogize Reagan. Right. We, you know, as a nation, there were many people who who chided black folk, you know, and people on the left for criticizing policy. They say, wait, there's a time for that. 
but why are we criticizing him now in time of mourning? Why are we doing this here? Why are we doing this now? So yeah, I don't think at George Floyd's funeral, we should be raising his criminal, his criminal history. But again, I don't see how that's relevant to the issue here. No one, no one was saying that he was a champion of black people his entire life. The point was, regardless of who he is, his life mattered, his life was worthy of protection. In some ways, I am actually interested to think about what it means for us to fight for someone who wasn't perfect. Because very often, we only fight for the the, the, the middle-class, cisgendered, straight, heterosexual guy who was going to college on Monday like Mike Brown. And we, we have to put Trayvon on a horse to say that he didn't need to die. And it's like, that's not the point. You shouldn't have to be perfect to Well, to I live. think it is the point because, and this is my problem with, with our community, is that, the, you know, black Americans are hypocrites. We are hypocrites, right? So you say, oh, well, it's not the point. Well, where, where were we on the issues of kids getting shot? Actual innocent black victims being killed, you know, every every weekend, every day in the inner cities. Nobody cares. You want if you want to give somebody a funeral and you want to have it be five days long, why not do that for Tyshawn Lee, the nine-year-old kid who was wearing his school uniform and playing basketball when he was lured into an alley by you know an older black man who then shot him point blank in the head two times because he didn't like his dad and it was like you know it was gang violence. Nobody cared. You know, so this whole idea of there's this uprising because you care about black lives. Don't pretend you care about black lives. You like the political expediency of caring about a black life, about a black life, if and only if and only it, only when it it, they die at the hands of a police officer or die at the hands rather of a white person because it doesn't even have to be a police officer as long as it's a white person. But we kill ourselves faster and nobody cares. What can you can you name can you name the last ten black people that died of homicide in this country? Because it it wasn't it wasn't George Floyd. Of course not. Of course not. But why not? So because there is. A, well, to, let me go to the first point you made. Touch on Lee, of course, that's something we should be uh, sad about. And I think black folk are. I don't, I've never met a black person who didn't care about black on black violence. Protests. We can talk about the protests of that. Um, just let me finish this, this other point, though. I think when you get to touch on Lee, the point is we mourn him, right? The, the issue with my issue with you with George Floyd was imagine if we 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 mourn Tyshawn Lee, we go to his funeral, and then you bring up the fact that he was a schoolyard bully, hypothetically, right? It'd be like, well, yeah, okay, maybe he was a schoolyard bully, but that's not relevant to this thing we're talking about right now. I'm okay with you talking about uh, violence within the community. The question is, do we want to bring it up here, and what what political work does it do to criticize him in that space? I now, think it's especially important to bring it up there. And, and I'm not talking about being a schoolyard bully because that, that's totally different. That almost sounds petty. But when you're talking about somebody who ran drugs to the black community, a, a huge issue that black Americans always talk about, oh, the reason there's so much addiction, you know, is, is because of uh, drugs. The reason that there's drugs and people point to the idea that, you know, the CIA ran crack into the black communities. Um, but then when you want to talk about why we have this issue of drugs, we, we we, we want to martyr somebody who went to prison five times for selling drugs. Armed robbery, you want to talk about violence. I mean, we're talking about a man. This is not a guy who just was bullying people. I mean, you force your, your, your way into a woman's home and put a pistol to her stomach and threaten to kill her as you rob her while she's pregnant, okay? This guy was a terrorist, in my opinion. I think we are literally martyring somebody who terrorized the black community his entire life. I'm not comfortable with it. Now, if he had done a 180 at the end of his life, I believe in forgiveness. You know, I'm not above, you know, believing that people make mistakes but this was not the story of George Floyd and that and that is proven by the fact that he was on the most addictive um, drug that is in America today which is fentanyl fentanyl is 100 times stronger but how does that make him a bad person? than more how does it make him a bad person I'm saying yeah. the, the the idea I'm attacking the narrative that but then after his ninth stint in prison which is by the way if you want to talk about a record going to prison nine times is very difficult to do 
you know, before he turned 40 years old, and he did it, okay? And then people wanted to say, then he moved to Minneapolis, changed his life around. I have a problem with the lie. I don't like a lie. He didn't change his life around. He was still doing drugs. He was still pushing drugs, and he was high on fentanyl and methamphetamine at the time of his arrest, which, by the way, fentanyl literally, quite literally, is what doctors give to patients when they want to bring down their breathing. And my problem is we can never have an honest discussion. There are so many black victims in the world, you know, true victims of homicide who have done nothing wrong. Maybe they were high school bullies. But he was a true victim of homicide. No, I'm saying when I say, yeah, he was a true victim of a homicide, you know, who knows at the end of the day, because right now there's disputes in the medical examiner reports. Some are saying that he actually died from fentanyl. You know, his, his breathing was complicated by whatever. Then they got a private person. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to dispute how he, the manner of his death, but I, I am going to agree that what Derek Chauvin did was an example of police brutality, um, regardless of whether or not it's exactly what led to his death. Um, uh, I, I just don't think it's honest. It's just, it's, it's not okay to me to elevate somebody who traumatized black people their entire lives. He was a bad man, you know, and, and is it relevant? Yeah. When you're putting him on t-shirts and you have little kids wearing posters and crying, yeah, that should not be your person that you're looking up to. I wouldn't tell my kids to put on a George Floyd t-shirt. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think the world is looking up to George Floyd. I think they're looking to his death as an example of of what's happening to us every single day in societies. And I think that's uh, the kind It's not happening to us every single day in society. Oh, oh, it absolutely is. What is? Excessive force, police brutality. Po- your police, police are killing black Americans every day? No, brutality, excessive force. I'm not talking about death. Uh, brutality, right? Th- th- that's the point, right? George Floyd was beaten... Uh, excuse me, people are beaten every day. George Floyd was was attacked. Some uh, people are beaten because they, they are being violent to police officers. So if you look at the data, the data suggests something different. What does that suggest? The data suggests that even when you control for the nature of the offense that they're charged for, meaning obviously there's a greater chance that you'll have a physical interaction with a violent offender than, mm-hmm. say, someone who passes off a, a counterfeit bill or someone who steals a loaf of bread. And you, and you, and you control for... Um, all the other data, all, all the other factors which would mitigate against the argument I'm making or challenge the argument I'm making. Blacks and, and, and Latinos are 40 to 50 percent ha, ha, face for, are 40, 40 to 50 percent more likely to face excessive force. Now, when you get to the to death, when you get to police shootings, the, the, the most accurate and recent data from the studies that are out don't suggest a racial disparity. Right. Black people aren't necessarily more likely to be killed by law enforcement every day, you know, on a day-to-day basis. In fact, the numbers are relatively low. But excessive force, absolutely. The data is is indisputable. The black Where, what, well, Whose statistics? I mean, you could study uh, by... Because I've looked at statistics and I've, I've never seen this. And I mean, I'm talking about uh, poli- people that have actually been proven to be using excessive force. There's been no racial disparity. And if there is one, white white... Uh, males are more likely. No, they're more um, likely to be. You're looking at the. You're looking at the death. Not statistic. just killed. Except you know excessive brutality. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about filings because you might be talking about filings. No, no. I'm. I'm talking about even if you. Even when you look at. I give you an example. Roland Fryer uh, has a study in 2019, the Journal of Political Economy, that's been reviewed, peer reviewed, etc. There's and he actually pushes back against more uh, stronger arguments on my side, which I'm not invoking because I would say I think Roland's study is actually more accurate and and and, and less in my favor, but. The data that they're submitting, ironically, is, is is from police departments. Right. So so we could intuitively believe that the most racist police departments aren't submitting the data. So these are the police departments saying, hey, we're doing this right. Here, mm-hmm. We're willing to show you this stuff. And 40 to 50 percent um, of that um, 
40, 40, 40 to 50% higher rate among black and brown people of excessive force th being thrown to the ground, being uh, also being handcuffed without, but why without are they arrest. Being, so just to introduce that data and say they're being thrown to the ground means nothing unless you say what the reasons were for them being thrown to the ground. Do you get what I'm saying? So that becomes that, that, becomes, that data is very subjective. Well, now, if you're saying like, you know, they threw him to the ground because he was running and they had to throw him to the ground and you saw a police report where they've studied and it says this person was, was thrown to the ground and he was black. Okay, well, the answer could also be that you look at the statistics of who's more likely to fight back against police officers and the answer is black people. So data can always be manipulated to give sure. you the answer you want to hear, which is why I think the most concrete evidence That's why you look at the study, though, because they, they, they actually addressed the point okay, you're raising and they said that's not true. I think the most important you know, concrete data to look at, and I'm glad you've already acknowledged it, is that there is no racial disparities when you look at the numbers of who's actually dying at the hands of police officers. So the entire narrative um, that's out there right now in the world is just patently wrong. I'm talking about deaths now. You know, White Americans are 25% more likely to be killed by police officers. If you're talking about deaths, police officers are 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black man than the other day around. Why aren't police honestly a protest by police officers against black men would make more sense it no, no eight, it wouldn't it be 18 and a half times louder no it wouldn't and, and, and this goes to the question you asked about why we're not protesting black on black crime i there's prisons are filled with black people for killing black people prisons are filled with black people no so many of them are not caught for, no no I'm, I'm not saying everyone who does it is caught my point is that black people have a good faith expectation that we'll go to jail for kill, for doing crime, right? It's not like there's, there's no narrative that black people don't go to jail for stuff, right? The problem is with law enforcement, when, when it's the other way around, when law enforcement does crime against us, or does the daily ritual of excessive force against us, um, we now don't have a good faith belief that they will be arrested, that they'll be fired, that they'll be arrested, that they'll be tried. And if they are tried, we have no belief that they'll be found guilty, even if the evidence is overwhelming. And so what we're protesting against is a system that is supposed to be honest and fair, but isn't and doesn't yield just outcomes. So part of why when when somebody in my neighborhood, you know, gets shot and then they, that guy gets carried out in handcuffs, we're, we're not protesting, not because we're not outraged by it, but protesting doesn't actually stop person A from killing person B, right? The protest is to stop at the, at the level of the neighborhood. But when it comes to police, the idea is that we're protesting a system that's supposed to protect us and they have the highest uh, responsibility. Yeah, but I mean, police, again, looking at the data, and again, I'm talking about death because excessive force, as soon as you use the word excessive, um, because it's an adjective, it lets you know that it's subjective, right? Excessive is like saying tall or short. No, it's, no, no, it's, it's, not, it's not. No, that's not subjective. They, they've, they've operationalized it. So it's specifically uh, use, use of violence when, when not, use of violence beyond what's necessary to detain the suspect or use of violence that's unprompted, right? So they've operationalized this. And again, they're basing this also on the response of the officers, mm -hmm. right? They're basing it even on officer reports. That's why I, I strongly encourage you to read the study. I mean, I, I yeah. will, again, because yeah. I'm flying in the dark here because you're, yeah. tell, you're telling me about a study that I haven't actually read, and I definitely have studied this. And like I, as I said, perhaps they have operationalized it and there's a way to determine what's considered excessive force. I don't know that, and perhaps you're right, I don't have that study in front of me, but what we do know is that People that are protesting out today are not protesting because they believe that police officers are using excessive force. Oh, they are, the, though. The whole mainstream narrative, when they're having people on and talk on, on CNN and Black Lives Matter, their entire platform is about black men dying unarmed at the hands of police officers. It was founded upon that concept. So I hate the fact that we're now shifting and pretending it's about something else and we're widening the net and we're making it about excessive force studies that nobody is talking about on CNN. Everybody is talking specifically about the idea that a black man that is unarmed is likely to die at the hands of a police officer and that's fraudulent. It's a fraudulent, it's a lie. So, it, one, Black Lives Matter actually wasn't founded on that. It was founded on um, 
Trayvon Martin's death, which had nothing to do with law enforcement. George Zimmerman wasn't a law enforcement officer. So from the beginning, we're talking about the kind of sense of unsafety, unprotectedness that black people experience, not just from law enforcement, but really around the, you know, in, in every sector of, of our lives, black people, not just men, but women and, and, and anyone else. Um, that's the first thing. And, and I think Black Lives Matter has always talked about uh, the daily violence, among other things. If you look at the Movement for Black Lives policy statement, they're talking about all kinds of stuff. It's, it's always been a wide... It's actually most about LGBT movement now. It's, it's a wide it's wide net, but it's, it's an interesting... But that's the problem. You create a wide net when, you, when you're full of bullshit, right? Or, when you know you're bullshitting. It's or, like, or we're or not just about, we're about trans rights and police. I mean, it's like maybe one sentence now that's even about police anything. They've really kind of dwindled it, and it's actually more about equality for trans something. But this is, but, this is, but Candace, I would think this would be up your alley, what? right? Not the trans part. Um, <laughs> Definitely not up but, my alley. But, but the idea that we're not singling out the police. We're saying that we should care about black lives in all sectors. I mean, that's part of the, part of the argument you're making about black on black violence is one about saying we should care about black life, not just when it, when, when it's threatened by police, mm -hmm. but everywhere. The movement for black lives is saying, look, we care about poverty. We care about certainly state violence. We care about food insecurity. We care about all of these things because they, 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 they connect. But so they're lying. That's the whole point. You can put that statement on your website, but then when your solution to that is to go into streets and to riot and to burn down and to loot, and every time they have a protest, it ends this way. So it's not like there was like That's that. That's not true. It, it, it's not like there was that one time where they started every time Black Lives Matter, Matter narrative starts running in the media, black people die, black people's neighborhoods get burned down. From the start of, Tra of Trayvon Martin, moving on to Freddie Gray, and here we are today with George Floyd, with Ahmaud Arbery. This is what happens every single time. So if there was that, if there, if there was that, if there was that one time, there may have been other protests that were, I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, condemning all protesters. I believe in protesting. I'm pushing back against the every time narrative. No, no, no. Okay. What I'm saying is every time their narrative, like when I say becomes mainstreamed, every time their narrative, every time you go, whoop, we're doing Black Lives Matter again, you can bet your ass all across the nation, black neighborhoods are going to burn out, people are going to lose their jobs, and black people are going to lose their lives, right? So that that's the, that's the hypocrisy. The idea that they care about all this other stuff, when in fact, every time they're protesting, it is specifically about police brutality, okay? And black people suffer. So if, you're, if your solution is worse than the problem, it's not a solution. So how many black people have died in these George Floyd protests? So that's, that's how many black people have been arrested because of these George George Floyd protests? How many black people have been impoverished because of these George Floyd protests? That's when it's a good time to sit back and say, is what I'm doing working? Okay, so so let's look at that. So I, I think uh, one, I, I'm. It's an interesting way to frame this. Um, black Lives Matter protests happen every day, and they've happened since 2014. Um, your point is that the media net, when when the, when it becomes a, the national narrative becomes, you know, this is a BLM moment. Shit is on fire. What I'm asking you to consider is that part of what happens is when shit is on fire, they throw BLM onto it, right? That That's they don't true. that they don't account for all these other. I mean, I, I go to BLM protests all the time mm -hmm. where, where, where people are marching. And we're not just marching against police violence. Again, that's just the sexy story. Cable news doesn't actually care about black food insecurity or 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 or, or trans. I mean, one of the most vulnerable populations are, are black trans women uh, in terms of being subject to death. Again, so that's not, because the majority of the, what's the reason that they have a higher death rate. I mean, there, there are a few reasons. There, there are structural factors, but my, we can talk about that too. But my point is, we don't cover it. So, mm -hmm. so part of it is that it's, it's part of it is not that black people don't care about this stuff. It's it's what's sexy to, to corporate media. Sexy to corporate media That's is fair. black people burning shit down. Right. So, so That's but, fair. I, I will totally give you that. That is usually one. It's it, it's the media. One for us guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no. look, I, I have said that how, you know ninety percent of our problem is the media, and and but at that point though, if your movement is being hijacked. And that's how it's being portrayed. How do you combat that? 
Well, I think you have to, one, you have to decide if you care what the dominant media narrative is. And also what, again, what political work does that media narrative do? Because I'm not, I, I don't also want to pretend that the rebellions that we've been seeing around the country aren't significant and aren't valuable. You know, I just don't think they can be the only game in town, right? If you're, if, if, if you think the rebellions are good, yeah, oh yeah, these autonomous cities, the burning and looting of black community and uh, the black black communities' homes and burning down of the neighborhoods, these black people that are crying on screen saying that their neighborhoods are being destroyed, you see that as a good? No, what I'm saying is that I see a movement of uprisings around the country as good. Now we can discuss tactically whether each specific act is wise. Tell me how it's good. Let's just, let's take yeah. Minneapolis, the first one, when they burned down the city. Tell me how you looked so, at that and said, this so, is good. So so one thing is that, again, black death is so ordinary in this country, right? What, yeah, because we do it the whole time to ourselves. And black death is so ordinary in this country, regardless of how we sort of, we, we can we can analyze why in a, mo in a moment, but um, getting the nation to stop and pay attention often requires the spectacle, the spectacle of violence, right? I'm not talking about killing people. I'm not talking about doing harm to people. I'm talking about even like tearing up a store. Right. If you look at Martin Luther King, just as one example, right? Martin Luther King leveraged the spectacle of violence to get America to pay attention. The only difference is Martin King said, we're going to strategize so that we get beat. Right. We're not going to tear other people up, but we're getting beat. Right. I mean, the Pettus Bridge was, was the, idea, the idea of being on the Pettus Bridge was, you know, that if we if we protest here, that they will that that these police will come and harm us. Yeah, and it's that America a really will brilliant see how strategy brutal. because it showed America that the problem was the police. Do you think the spectacle right, but, right but, now but, is showing America that the problem is the police? Yes! The problem is no, but the, it's not. The, the, when you look at these riots, it is not. You, this is the exact opposite of Martin Luther King's strategy. The exact opposite. Martin Luther King said, "We're going to go in and be peaceful, and we're going to watch them send dogs on us. They're going to set their fire hose on us, and when the whole world sees these clips, they're going to realize that the problem is are white." White people that are racist and the and the governments that are, spawn, are allowing this terror to go on. Okay, win. He crushed that. It was a brilliant strategy. Right now, Black America's strategy is: we're going to go in and be violent. We're going to go in and loot. We're going to go in no, and take no, the TVs, no, no. and then America's going to think, "Hmm, Black Lives Matter is a terrorist unit," and that's exactly what that's the concept not what is. It but, is. It is. But I guess what I'm what I'm pushing back first. What I'm pushing back against is we don't I, look good. This is not making Black people look good. The, the first thing I push back against is this idea that the only time we can engage in the type of resistance is if we're if our bodies are the ransom for justice. I'm right? just telling you, it's not Martin Luther King's strategy. No, no, I, I'm with you. I, I'm agreeing that it's not. I'm, I'm saying it's not the exact. It's not the same tactic. The overall strategy is still to use violence and the spectacle and of violence to get justice. Right. But and you're, and you're like, it's, and what I'm hearing you say is that's cool if the dogs are biting us and the hoses are spraying us. I'm saying you're not. The message you're going to deliver is that black people are violent. So you, using the idea, and you and you have just already said that you thought Martin Luther King had a good strategy, and I agree with you. Yeah. What we are doing is the exact opposite of that strategy. So we are showing that black people are violent, that black people loot, that black people rob, that black people kill one another. That is that is what is being shown. How you think we're winning with that narrative? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know well, who right now is thinking. I'm so glad we we uh, took those TVs at a Target and burned down Target because now people that's just, are that's seeing. That's such a small part of what happened. The other thing is even what when was we, the spectacle that was shown? No, no. I, I'll tell you. But when we when we talk about King, right? Because we, we there's King in in in, in marching in '65, but there's also What's happening in Watts in 65? What's happening in Detroit in 67? You know, there, there are the same rebellions you're talking about are happening around. And King. what happened? What was, no, what no, was no, the conclusion no, of that? Just, just, hear, hear my thought out, though. My point is that it's never a single strategy, mm -hmm. right? There, there's always multiple things happening, right? There are people calling for defunding right now, and there are people on the streets. Just like King, there are people who there are people who are marching and getting beaten by police, and there are people who who, who are tearing up Detroit and, and Watts. Mm -hmm. I'm saying we need multiple strategies. Now, I agree with you. I would love, I would love. If, and, and I got to say, I have a bookstore in Philadelphia, and a whole bunch of stores on my block got got smashed. Sneaker store got raided. Uh, uh, what else got raided? An, an, another uh, a hair store got raided. Um, my bookstore did not. 
right? My coffee shop did not. Now, why? Well, it's not nearly as random as you might think, right? Much of the, the people, a lot of the stuff is, oh, you're tearing down your own shit. Most of this shit in our neighborhood isn't ours, right? Most of it are people who are occupying our neighborhoods. Most of the stuff we're taking, most of these homes that are burning, we don't own. So, so, so Target, where they hire majority black people. So you've taken black people's jobs in, in that situation. I mean, I just, I'm trying to see one positive thing in burning down and looting and robbing. And I want to go back because you brought up the, you know, the, the mid 60s protests yeah. um, and, the, and the riots, rather, because they weren't protests. They're the notorious Detroit and Chicago uh, riots were that took place. They were rebellions, riots, same thing. Which are forms of protest. Okay, sure. What was the end consequence of that? Uh, the Voting Rights Act of sixty uh, of the no the that was that, that happened before that sixty four the, the the riots happened in sixty seven and sixty eight the oh you talking about those right yeah you're talking about different but okay so King dies in sixty eight and we get more civil rights legislation months later no and, and this is in the aftermath of of rebellion but what 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 was the and this is the thing is people you you're looking for a piece of legislation but what happened. Detroit and Chicago were the the economic booms for the black community. The riots happened. The rich people got up and they left, and they depressed those cities oh, for decades I didn't know to come. Were, okay. Okay. So the thing is, is that this is the problem. Everybody wants to be in the now. I'm in the later. Okay. I'm already hearing the conversations amongst business owners. They're leaving. They're going to leave the cities. So you want to talk about signing up for another 60 years of black poverty? It's exactly what we did. We signed up for black poverty, and it started in the 1960s. First and foremost, it was the legislation that was supposed to be helpful. Nope, that led to economic depression too, because it incentivized bad behavior. All of the the, the Great Society Act and all that stuff that happened in the mid '60s was not good for Black America. Sounded good, like everything the Democrats put forward. Sounded great. We're going to give you stuff, but really, it incentivized father absence. It welfareized the Black community, and it made us it married us to the government. On top of that, we burned and looted our own communities, thinking that we were going to get justice. And 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 in what really happened is the business leaders left, the jobs left. Black people had no jobs, and we were poor. And we had we have now had 60 years complaining about the condition of Chicago and Detroit and these inner cities, and we're recreating the wheel all over again. Right now, I think it, that, that's a heck of an analysis. It's the truth. No, no, I think it's 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 not. Um, I, I, it I think, is. It's, that's what happened in the '60s. Again, it's it's sort of like the King example. It's not that I disagree with the particular things you're saying happen. I'm saying there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happened at the same time, which complicates the story. This and, this is not King's Black no, America. I know, no, I'm 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 saying in, in the same respect. So, for example, when we look at, um, and and I actually talk about this in my book, nobody, which you all should read. Oh right, yep. forgot to do that. Yes. yes. I don't want to plug it, but it's actually relevant no, to, the, it is. to the topic. It's, uh, casualties of America's War on the Vulnerable, from Ferguson to Flint and beyond. Because part of what I talk about in, in Ferguson is this very thing, right? You're right. There, there are migrations. There's white flight. There's Then, then ultimately, you end up with the suburbanization of poverty in, in Ferguson. Because Ferguson's a suburb, right? Then you look at a place like Chicago. You look at a place like Detroit. Multiple things are happening. It's not just that black people rioted and lost the city and, and, and doomed themselves to poverty for they 60 did. years. There are... You have to look at the shift in, in the economy itself. You have to look at the, the flight of factors, which weren't a response to to um, to black rebellion. It was a response to tax inc- tax tax incentives. It was a response to going. Uh, it was rebellions. It was the automobile companies that were making those cities flourish, and they all packed up and left. Not, not because of everybody. Again, a, a good example is Ferguson. Emerson, they stated it when they left. Yeah, companies say a lot of things. That doesn't mean that that's why they left. They were burning down their factories. No, no, I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I'm saying we have to look at again a series of economic policies and the failure of the government to invest in those communities in ways that would yield outcomes. We don't need the government to invest. What we needed what was what was happening. That's why those communities were flourishing. We needed private companies to come in and to have jobs and and to stabilize the community. The last thing Black America needs is more government. Okay, and, and it is amazing to me. And I, I write this 
in my upcoming book that the community that has suffered the most from black poli from from government policies. You want to talk about slavery? That was a government policy. You want to talk about Jim Crow laws? That was a government policy. You want to talk about the welfare system? That was a government policy. Is now looking to the government to give them more policies. The government has never done anything good for Black America, right? It's never anything that's happened good for Black America has happened because of private companies investing in their businesses. Of course, I'm talking. Of course, we consider the Emancipation Proclamation. Hold on, but that was getting rid of government policies. No, it's if new anything, policy. It was. It, it really wasn't new policy. It, it, if you want to talk about what was wrong with America in the beginning, is that. America wasn't obeying or honoring its own constitution. All men are created equal. All men have the right. It actually was not honoring its own constitution. They created legislation that went against the constitution. So America was one big hypocritical mess when all this was going on. Once America actually got rid of all of the policies that they created that went against its constitution, which happened, you know, obviously with allowing women to vote, allowing first black men to vote, and then allowing, you know, black, black women and all women to vote and getting rid of all that crap, then America became what it was supposed to be when they actually enshrined the constitution. So, so, so why not then imagine the government as having the capacity to expand on that promise, right? To expand on that promise of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness of all people being created equal through proper legislation. For example, I mean, you, you, you would say you would agree the Marshall Plan certainly helped, you know, certainly helped the white middle class after World War II. I mean, it, 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 it created economic incentive. It invested in them to say, well, now for black folk, we don't need that. We need less government. No, we she, need the investment. She wants the, gov the investment. So you do know governments don't make money, right? I'm not suggesting governments make money. So how is the government? You keep saying the government give us money, give us money. What is wrong with that? Governments don't make money. Job people make money, right? Capitalism makes money. New jobs, new businesses, new ideas. Yeah, but that was the, the one thing that the government can do to help Black America is what Trump's doing right now: deregulate. Right? Stop with all putting all of these traps and barriers for people that have good ideas and that are entrepreneurs. You know, to come out and actually say, "I want to start this business." For example, my cousin who lives in the projects want to start a food truck. Right? Mm -hmm. Great cook. Let's start. There was about, and this is this was under Obama, twenty thousand pieces of regulation stopping from him to be able. You got to have this done, this done, this certification, certification. The government just messes stuff up. That's the problem, right? We don't need the government does not make money. So you're saying the government needs to invest in Black America doesn't even make any sense. No, it does because the, the argument is that we as a nation flourish when we invest. For example, give, give you private citizens. When, no, but, but you have to create the conditions for that. That's what I mean. But I don't mean invest in the same way you invest in Sears and Roebuck in 1950. I'm saying invest in, in the people in the sense of create equal opportunity and put capital in, in spaces or, and allow for the flourishment of capital in places. Yeah, deregulating. So, so that people That's can, agree. I'm agreeing. Deregulating. Right. Like equal, equal opportunity zones, which is president's doing now. Right, but, saying, uh, well, we'll give you a tax break to, that incentivizes a private business to come in and build their businesses in Chicago. We will give you tax breaks if, if you build your hub here in Chicago. That's the government's job. And what if the government says, we, but you have to have X number of black people because because of historic patterns of discrimination, you'd be you'd you'd be okay with that, right? No, why would I be okay with that? I, I'm, I would hope you no. would be. Cause no, because that, that's that's the type of regulation I'm talking about. No, we can't we can't ask for racism to combat racism. That's just I mean it's just so foolish. People keep saying this. So we need to have quotas. I don't want quotas. I, I'm not I'm not okay with affirmative action. All of that is racism. It's all racism. Okay. Why is we, it racism? It's racism because we are smart enough to get into schools. We're smart enough to get into schools. I just met your daughter. She seems pretty smart. I don't think she needs the government to help her out to get into school. She's a smart girl. Okay. It is a bigotry. It is a soft bigotry of low expectations, which is, which is a phrase that was coined by George H.W. Bush. When you are saying George to someone, George W. Bush, yeah, yeah. correct. When you are saying to someone, we have to do this so you can get into school, what you are saying to a black person is you're not smart enough to get into the school by yourself. No, that's not what they're saying at all. That is what you're saying. No, what they're saying is, is that there's a pattern of discrimination and, 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 and a lack of access. Just make it merit-based. Don't even put your color when you, when you apply for school. 
That's not that's not discrimination. It means you didn't get in because you did like, the best. Yeah, letter- if everything were facially neutral, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I'm asking for. Yeah. That, that, so the, that is the answer. No right. racism, no I, discrimination. If it were facially neutral, but, yes. uh, but underneath it were, were, were contextually neutral, I'd be fine with that. If everybody had the same chance. Mm-hmm. For example, if, if all of us in this room, right, uh, there's a guy over there who's seven feet tall. Um, she's a very tall staff. There's a guy who's seven feet tall, uh, and we try out for the NBA together. He has a better shot than I do. Yeah. Because he's seven feet tall. Correct. And he might be better at basketball. Than That's me. correct. I'm cool with that, right? Because right. we're being measured by the same thing, right? We, it's, it, the rules are public. The goals are clear. The playing field is level. The referees are honest, right? I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. The problem is when it comes to life, it doesn't work that way. How does it not work that way? So explain to me how affirmative action doesn't work that way. How are black kids being – actually, they're discriminated in favor of to get into schools. I, give, I, give you, I can give you a couple a couple examples. One, the, the metrics we use to – to get people into school, particularly the SAT. SAT is a terrible predictor of how well you'll do in college, right? It's it, there, there's some data that shows that that it'll it's somewhat of a predictor of how, maybe how well you do your first year, but it does, it's not a very good indicator of whether you'll finish. It's not a good indicator. What, it's not a good indicator of what your final GPA will be. But we use the SAT. It's a it's a terrible metric. The metric also shows that it, it disproportionately favors middle class people. Take race out for a second. It disproport it it disproportionately uh, benefits or benefits middle-class people. And so a middle-class kid who's just as smart, just as talented, works just as hard, and may even have the same GPA, won't perform as well on the SAT. I mean, the, the, the working-class kid won't perform as well as a middle-class kid. Not because he or she isn't as talented, but because the metric is broken. And so if I then, as, at, from the school, say, look, I'm just taking people on their SAT scores. It's a facially neutral metric. I'm saying, look, I just want the best SAT scores. The problem is it, it, it's not actually necessarily measuring how smart you are. It's, it's measuring how middle-class you are. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Not particularly, no. I don't see how it measures how many class you are. Because because the, the, the test itself, as it's structured, has questions. It has... Uh, f- uh, like fill in the blank. Points of reference uh, that don't necessarily measure your your ability to reason. But that's exactly what it does. It measures your ability to reason. No, I'll give you an example. If, if, if I have in it a um, vocabulary, for example, I'm trying to think of a good one. The, the classic, almost cliche now, is the one about the yacht, right? Or uh, it, it'll... It'll ask you to complete a logical syllogism. It'll ask you to to make a leap in logic, right? To mm-hmm. to make some kind of interpretation of a text. And if I don't understand a few of the words that are referenced in the text, not because it's 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 off, it's on my grade level and I missed it, not because I'm not smart enough, but because this is a sort of fairly normal middle class thing to know, and this is a, not a fairly normal working class thing to know. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm not actually measuring my ability to answer the question. Well, the problem is, is that if you can't answer the question though, and then you you're put into a school, uh, you know, not because you knew the answers to the question because of your skin color, you are likely to drop out of that school. Yeah, but the, the data doesn't show that. It does show that, actually. No, no. It specifically shows that. Yes, it does. And I'm going to push back on this because I actually just read this um, in, in Thomas Sowell's book. It exactly shows that. And this is why Clarence Wait, it Thomas- it shows what? It, it shows that black kids, when they are mismatched in schools because they are accepting affirmative action policies and putting people, putting them into schools where they get that oh, they are if you're into- saying, If you're saying people are, who are mismatched for schools don't, don't, don't stay, I, I, I'm not disputing yeah, that Yeah, well, and they actually end up being at the bottom of the class. It's, it's actually bad for black people. Affirmative action has harmed black people because here's the problem and I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. So Thomas Sowell was an adjunct professor at Cornell University and he was teaching and he learned that something like 25% of all of the black kids were on academic probation. So he went to go investigate. Why are all the black kids on academic probation? Well, it turns out all of those black kids were let in based on affirmative action, meaning, and he said, by the way, these were 
the, the top tier black kids in America, if they had actually got into a school, maybe they went to uh, UNC instead of going to Cornell, they would have been at the top of their class. But because they mismatched, they put them into a class that was slightly higher and they weren't able to compete at the level of everyone in that class, they were then at the bottom. So, so it, doesn't, it doesn't help those kids to finish at the bottom of Cornell rather than finish at the top of another school. They could have been at the top of another school if they just were matched into the correct universities. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm disag- it, hurts black, it hurts black Americans. I'm, I'm disagreeing with that data, but, I'm, but I'm, with that interpretation of data, but I'm, but I'm also... Um, but it's true. But, they, they're more likely to drop out, and they're finishing at the bottom of their classes. You can't just put a kid into Harvard because they're black. They're yeah, going to have but, to compete but, at that level. But, but, but one, that's that's never been the argument of, of affirmative action for college admissions, um, and that's not happening. There aren't all these. It is happening there aren't though. All these unqualified. I'm telling you that there is no, no, concrete no, no. data that supports I'm, that it, it hurts black Americans because they they're not they're finishing at the bottom of classes where they would be finishing at the top the, if they had just went into schools that they were meant first to. First of all, there's, there's absolutely no way to predict that, right? So that, that's not that's not data. That's that's a that's a huge leap of interpretation to say. No, it's that. What do you mean? There's no way to predict it. How can you predict that someone would? You have, can't predict it. You can you can assess it retro. You can, you can do a retro. How assessment. can you retroactively assess that someone would have been at because top of the class? Because you look at all of the black kids, right? right? And you look at their SAT scores and you say, if they had actually gotten into this school, which is where they belonged, as opposed to putting them in this school because they were black. So Harvard's saying, let's let them in on an affirmative action based But they're saying that's system. not how college-based admissions, that's what I'm saying. It's, it, what I'm saying, what I'm disagreeing with is 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 the presumption that or that we're taking as fact that people are admitted with who are wholly unqualified for these uh, for these admissions, they are. No, what I'm, what I, they're below does, the average SAT score of all the other Chinese kids and white kids that get into you know get into these schools. No, that, that's what, what the way college admissions works is that with regard to diversity, with regard to affirmative action, is that the argument is that race should be a factor in the application. Not that you should be admitted because you're black. Not that we should have this whole sea of unqualified people who have like a thousand on the SATs and. Um, you know, and and some and and two and three point GPA. That's that's not the argument. If that were the argument, I would agree with you because when there are situations where people are mismatched that dramatically, you're right. They don't do well. That's what I'm saying. I was never disputing that point. What I'm disputing is the idea that that is uh, that is a the the framework for how affirmative action works or how we've ever wanted it to work within universities. The idea here is that one, we, we believe that diversity is an institutional benefit that we all benefit when schools are more diverse, not just black not just black people because we got into Harvard, but white people for having black people there and vice versa. Right. So you're they, against HBCUs. No, I'm not against HBCUs. That's weird. No, I'm 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 for white people being allowed to come to HBCUs uh, uh, in in the same way. I th- I think that that's a, that's an absolute. But do you think they should have a quota of white people that are allowed in? Do I think there should be a quota of white people to make sure that they're getting a good diverse experience? You just talked if, about. If there were, and then I want to return to this other point because I think it's key. Um, it's apples and oranges, but yeah, I'm abs- always apples and oranges when you want to talk about equality when it comes to Black America. No, because white right? people aren't being systematically. It's not denied. a racist society to let them in based on the color no. of their skin, but it is racism if you don't let them in on the color no. of their what skin. I'm, no, what I'm saying is, is that if there were a history of white people being denied access to Howard or Morehouse or Spelman, then I'd say yes, we absolutely need a quote of white people because they deserve to be there, right? But the fact is, there aren't there aren't a lot of white people trying to get. Would in you be okay if there was, a, you know, just an all white school that, with- that black people weren't allowed to enter? That, that very few white people enter, would you be okay with that? Would I be okay with the If they school? were allowed to go, like you just said, the HBCU. Wait, say, say that one more time. I just want to make sure I heard you right. So your argument that you're saying is that the reason that you have these policies is because you think they'd benefit from diversity by having a certain quota. Yeah, we all benefit right. from diversity. So then do you think, would, would, are, why are you okay with HBCUs? Right, but, okay. You were asking me if there were a white school that had very few black people, yeah. but the black people were allowed to go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying so we, we do. They call so them we, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton. That's my point. No, but they, they have they have quotas. They, they don't have quotas. What they have is 
what they do is they consider race as a factor in admission. And I'm saying similarly, yes, I, I absolutely think it's That's okay. That's racist. No, I'm saying it's racist to consider race. Yeah. So, so <laughs> that's right. That's literally like the definition. No, it's not the definition. Yeah, it Considering is. race is not the de- is not the definition of racism. You if you are making a decision, right, based on this color of somebody's skin, that is racism. No, it's not. Making your 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 position, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that the even the acknowledgement or consideration of race as a factor in anything is racist. Yes, I and, think it sh- everything should be merit based. That's and, true equality. And I'm saying no, right? So racism it becomes racist if I am using race as a factor to discriminate against you, to deny you access to well, resources, they do that. to deny you access they to something. They do that to the Chinese people. That's why they're suing. That's why they keep going to the Supreme Court. They are now actively not allowing Chinese people and Asian kids who work their asses off um, and just perform better than every other race in America. Sorry, they are at the top of this society for a reason. Asian Americans are being discriminated against because they want more diversity and there's too many Asians at MIT or too many right, Asians because- at Harvard and they're saying, you can't come in. We need to let some black people in even though your test scores are way higher and you've done more and you've that, that's wrong. That's discrimination. Discriminating against Asians in favor of black people. That's wrong. It's racism. It's 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 not discriminatory because again, if the only measures for getting into college were GPA and and SAT score, and there were a list of people, right? And I said, you know what, you can't get in even though your score is higher. You'd have an argument. College you when That's you what went, happens though. It's not. When you when you apply for college, your whole time, what they tell you? You got to be part of this club. You got to be part of this thing. You got to do this. You got to. There's a whole thing that we want. We want a well-rounded student, and we, there are multiple factors in admissions, right? And the other thing, any admissions counselor will tell you is because they always say, well, "What if they have the exact same numbers and one's black and one's white?" Mm-hmm. There are never two cases that are exactly the same, right? They're always complicated. Admissions decisions are always complicated. They're always a whole array of things, and we make decisions based on fit. We make decisions based on the well-roundedness of a person, and also what they contribute to our environment, right? So, so to that extent. The consideration of race or or or, or geographic origin um, is not something like I wouldn't want all kids from New York in one school, right? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, if if kids are relatively similar and and we have no kids from the Midwest and someone from the West Coast, yeah, you might have two points but higher. They're not relatively similar. That's what I'm saying. If 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 it was a merit based system, all yeah. of the top schools would have all Asians, and that's why Asians are suing. And they have they sh- they should win. I hope they win because it's racist. We should not be saying you overperform and there's too many of you because Asians have a better culture and they focus on school. <laughs> they do. I mean, listen, a I say this culture? all. They do. And then this is the problem is that we don't want to acknowledge the fact. And this is this is the reason why Black America is never, in my opinion, going to get better until we're able to have honest discussions. Every culture is different, right? There are many different cultures going on. You know, Latino culture is different. Asians culture is different. When you say Asian, who are you talking about? Uh, okay, so I, I should be more specific. Yeah. So right now, a bunch of Cambodian yeah, yeah, monk yeah, yeah, kids yeah. that have never seen camp. You know, so right now, the, the 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 you know, if you want to talk about in terms of wealth in America, the wealthy the wealthiest groups are Pakistani, Taiwanese, um, not Chinese actually, and I think Japanese, right? And growing up in, in you know in an environment, I grew up in a very mixed you know uh, public school system. My one of my best friends who was Japanese, after school at her house, her dad was crazy about schoolwork. I mean, it was like it didn't happen in my house. Our cultures were different, you know what I mean? It didn't happen to my house, not my cousins. Like, really, a lot of us, we're, I'm raising my cousins. I'm watching my, my cousins, you know, because their mom's at work. they single mother household, so the cousins are becoming the babysitters. Wasn't that way. Her father was so strict about her work. You know, she ended up going, to, you know, to a top school. That made sense based off of how she's worked her entire life, right? To imagine that I didn't end up going to a top school. And for me to say it's because of, you know, color of my skin or she shouldn't be able No, she, she worked harder. Asian culture is different. 
Jewish Americans have a different culture, right? They, they also are ones that tend to value schoolwork a lot harder. We need to do better in black America at valuing schoolwork. I wasn't raised in a household that valued schoolwork. And I'm not saying all, I'm not here to paint a broad brush, but I'm saying over, overwhelmingly, you know, there's a reason why we're dropping out of high school at a higher rate. You no, know? there are lots of reasons. And, but, but nobody, we never talk but, but about what we're doing it, wrong. And it, it is, it is culture, no, right? I think and even I, our, our, we, we value breaking down education, even via our, our hip hop, our music, everything. We, we actually value a lack of education. We see that as black culture. Do you get what I'm saying? Like Ebonics, that's us, right? And how, then we're how is Ebonics a lack of education? And, and then it, it, what I'm saying is that you're, you're what, what Ebonics is, is you're breaking down the English language, right? And then we're surprised. No, it's a dialect when, of the English language. Okay, it's a dialect of the English language, but it's not proper English, right? And then we're surprised when 75% of black boys can't pass a reading exam, and then we want to blame the government. Right, send five percent black boys in California. Then you want to say it's the government. The government's doing something wrong. What are we doing wrong? Are black, do, do we do anything wrong? So you've, you've hit a lot of a lot of spots. So I, I, let me let me pick a few. Um, first, uh, hmm, where do I want to go? I don't want to get too far off of this because I, I, I still think you're missing the point of the affirmative action thing, which is uh, and then I'll, then I'll address the the PW the uh, the the early the literacy stuff, the the reading, the dropout stuff, right? Um, my argument isn't, again, that people should be put in schools where there's a mismatch. I agree. As a professor, I can tell you, I encounter students, I've encountered students who are mismatched for the institution for lots of reasons. It's no fun to teach someone who's mismatched for the institution. That's the first thing. One, the second thing I would say is it, it's institutional mismatches happen across the board, and there are plenty of people who don't meet the average of the school. It's not just black people. That's, for example, legacies oftentimes mm. don't meet the match. Athletes often don't meet the, the, the match. Um, uh, who else? I mean, it's legacies, donors, and and, and athletes are, are three are three key examples. George Bush, people said George Bush was dumb. George W. Bush, George W. Bush wasn't dumb. His his SAT score, I believe, was one standard deviation above the average Americans, right? But it was two below what the average Yale student mm. did. He was just fine. He turned out just fine. He, he was smart enough. He got into Yale. He did just fine. Um, black people are no different, right? Um, I would rather give that kind of hookup to use a lack of, to use a, uh, maybe not, I mean, I use the word hookup. I would rather have that type of relationship for a student in poverty and someone who worked hard than someone who's the benefit of legacy and privilege. I'd rather have none. I, I got you. Yeah. But I, and I, and, and I, I hear you. What I'm saying is from that point, cause no one, no one is complaining about the athlete. No one's complaining about the, um, the legacy. No one's complaining about the person who's, who, who built the building that we're standing in, you know, in, I'm talking about the university. Um, we're only talking about that. But I don't want to get into what about I'm just saying, though, I think it's an important point to, to, that we only talk about this in the context of black people when it's very much when they're very much not the ones who are, who are the biggest, often the most egregious examples of, of, of institutional mismatch. The second thing is when we think about black people in affirmative, again, the goal when we do admissions is to say, how can we have a diverse student body? Because diversity itself is an institutional asset. So if, this, if the average SAT score is 1,400 and there's a black kid from Compton who has a 1,000 and a 3.9, I might say, this person's probably not a great fit for this school. Can you explain right. that diversity being um, an asset? Studies show that that when when groups are heter- when are are are, um, are heterogeneous, uh, we we arrive at more dynamic and creative solutions. We're able to problem solve better. That we learn from each other, and that we're better prepared for what the world. What studies? You sound like one of those leftist fluffist fluffy no, studies. No. How, do you, how do you measure that? How um, do you measure that? How do you, like how, what's the test to see if diversity? Te- and- uh, task-oriented problem-solving with groups, and they, mm. they, they, they did them with homogenous groups first, and groups that are all the same tend to arrive at solutions faster. If we're all the same, because we tend to think the same, we tend to have the same kind of ways of solving problems. 
But what's interesting is when we're heterogeneous, it takes us longer to get there. Um, but we offer more diverse and, and creative solutions, outcomes. So now you, have to, now you could ask what your what your goal of school is. We could have a debate about, you know, what you think the outcome should be. Yeah, because I think that, you know, there's no such thing as diversity. Just because you look different than me doesn't mean that we're diverse. We could be from we're, the exact same neighborhood. I mean, that, oh, I agree. To me, I think what the one thing that students that would benefit the most from and what you clearly don't have on college campuses is intellectual diversity. So this right here. Would, is of much better use to a college university. Two black, we look alike, you know, we're the same color, right. but you and I are on totally opposite, you know, playing fields, and this is a positive conversation for people to, to listen to and to hear. This is great. Right. You don't get this in college campuses. But what's a predictor of that, right? So if I have people from different racial backgrounds, different class backgrounds, I mean, we could say the Supreme Court is diverse, but they all went to Harvard and Yale, like for law school, for the for the, for the majority, not all yeah, of them, literally. Yeah, who's my point? Right. So I'm not saying the only diversity is racial diversity. Uh, I'm not saying the only diversity should be gender diversity. I'm just saying that these are factors. I wouldn't want to if if I if I went to a school where all the men had the highest SAT scores, um, I would think even if women had slightly lower SAT scores or men had slightly lower SAT scores, I'd want gender diversity. But again, I'm also saying that your idea of merit is based on this conception. It, it concedes that the metric itself is correct, and I'm asking you to consider based on all the data that the SAT and these other metrics aren't actually good predictors of how well you'll do anyway. The they only reason, are. They're, they're not. The, SA, the SAT is not a measure. If, if the goal of the SAT is, a, is to measure your aptitude, right, your, your ability, it's not supposed to be a knowledge test. It's not supposed to be like, okay, there's 100 things you have to know. If you know 100 of them, you win, right? It's to say this is a person's prepar preparedness for college. It actually doesn't – the data shows that it doesn't predict well how well you'll do in college. It doesn't predict what your GPA is going to be. There's no correlation between – strong correlation between your GPA, mm -hmm. between your graduation, graduation rates and such. So that's why I'm saying even the idea of meritocracy has to be based on something – you know, it, it would be like if that seven-footer over there, if, if if they decided to try us out for basketball, and the only thing they tried us out for was three-pointers, right? I might make more three-pointers. He's seven feet tall. Just give him the ball. He'll dunk it every time. And and, and so the metric itself may, may benefit my skill set versus that skill set. And, mm -hmm. and I'm saying we have to have a more robust assessment of skills. And so what I find is not that we are admitting people who are black people who are far off the mark in terms of admission. There are people who are already within the zone and we're saying, let's let race be a factor too. So yes, I may have, a, I'm just pick an arbitrary number. I may have a 1300 and, and the white guy may have a, a, a 1350 and I may have a, a, a 3.9 and he may have a 3.94 and you may say, well, his numbers are higher. I would say one, again, let's test the metric, but also there might be value to a school to not, to not going to school with all white people hmm. or all black people. Again, now you, I know you mentioned the HBCU thing, but again, that's a that's a different context because they're not being denied access to it. So, are you? I would assume then that you strongly disagree with um, some of the instances that are happening of uh, black people requesting um, all black dorms as a safe space and as a solution to them feeling tokenized by the presence of white people on campus. Two, you asked two different questions there. In general, I, do, I believe in the diversity of education, classrooms, of dorms. But if there is a situation where people feel harmed or unsafe. No, not harmed. They just, they just you think You just said they too, feel unsafe. Well, they, they use the word unsafe, but what actually is going on is they feel tokenized, meaning that there's too many white people, so they want their own. I, I think it's okay for people to carve out their own spaces so of any sort. So you're actually okay with discrimination, but you prefer to it as positive discrimination because it ends up being good, um, in your opinion, because it is discrimination. No, I, I don't, and I don't okay consider it discrimination. And you're okay with positive segregation. As long as you're choosing segregation. I'm okay with separation, not segregation. There's a difference. Well, if, if it's an all-black dorm, it's segregation. It's, it's, it's a separate dorm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not segregation. Again, white people aren't asking. Again, Du Bois College House in, 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 at University of Pennsylvania is a classic example. Right? How is an all-black dorm not segregation? Because white people aren't being denied access to it. No, that's what they're creating. 
all black dorms where only but again, black people can black people can stay. But again, as a as a practical matter, white people aren't asking to be in these dorms. It's not as if there's a line of white people saying we would love to be in this dorm, but these black people won't let us in. But, Just like there's not a line of people saying I would. Lo-, there's not a line of white women saying you know I wouldn't go to Spelman and they won't let me in because the truth is if you that apply, is, that is that is what happens because then what happens if a white person says I'm not okay with this is they get attacked. Um, can somebody remind me of the campus that uh, Brett Weinstein got chased off of? Evergreen campus, where they decided it was only black people who were going to be allowed in the campus for that day. Um, and one professor who was white said, well, I want to stay here and teach my class. And they um, chased him into a room with a bat. And yeah, this shouldn't happen. We can we can agree on okay, that. But, so, but that's not but, the same thing the, as, the, as an admissions policy. But the culture policy. that, first off, in all black dorm is racist. And this is what this is my problem, is that somehow we've arrived suddenly into a place where black Americans are authoring the exact same thing that our ancestors fought to end. Discrimination, segregation, but we've made a spin on it and said, but this is a positive form of discrimination. This is a positive form of segregation because we're choosing it. It's wrong. It's just wrong. I mean, I, I don't see how you can't just plainly say an all-black dorm is racist. This should be all-black, all-white, all Hispanic. All it's racist. It should never exist at all, okay? You sleep where you sleep. You don't like sleeping there. You leave the school. You can decide to go somewhere else, but we don't play that game on college campuses. We don't play, you know, X amount of people, quotas are going to be allowed into school. It needs to be a merit-based. I don't care what color you are. Let me see how you perform. Let me see. And yes, maybe looking at the activities without knowing what color you are, I might say, okay, SST is a little lower, but he has taken on, he was playing full-time basketball and all that. So I think he'd be a good fit. Again, race does not need to be present for that determination to be made. We, I but, but why is race the only thing that we can't consider? So for example, we shouldn't consider it because it's racist. LeBron James. Yes. LeBron James were going into college right now with a lower SAT score and a lower GPA. And you're the president of the university. And he wants to go to Princeton. He wants to play Ivy League basketball, right? And he's, he's, he's a little bit lower than everyone else. Do you not let him in because there's a white guy who's above him? Let him into the school. If if his SAT is low yeah. and he's not doing well, but, but he's an extraordinary basketball player and he's good enough to be in the school. I'm not saying he's, his numbers are you, good. You still don't need his race on the piece of paper to determine that. No, I, I'm, take his race off. Let's yeah, take off race. That's my point. Okay, let's pick a white guy. Let's Dirk Nowitzki wants to, wants to apply. My point is, if someone had an extraordinary talent like basketball, we we, we let basketball players in all the time with lower GPAs. Right, but I'm don't saying that determination. It. No, regardless, if you're going to say we want to make sure we have a healthy mix, you should not be hitting what race you are, period, when you apply to school. And that's, and that's what my I'm, point. And what I, I get you, I fully comprehend your point. What I'm saying is, is that we should consider in the same way that we're willing to have a diverse group of people. Like I'm, I want to have some flute players and I want to have some soccer players and I want to have uh, some, you know, some people from Iowa. It's OK to say I want some black people. But so is it OK to say that I want you know, Jewish people. Yes. So you're okay with all of it. Yes. I, we want there all There is a Asians. long history of excluding Jewish people from universities. It and is. so we had to create spaces for Jewish. We, we So part of why you have a, um, what's the school in New York? It begins with a B, a Brandeis. Part of why you have a Brandeis is precisely because there has been a denial of, of Jewish people, both professors mm-hmm. and students into mainstream universities. So we had to create space for them. Right. And so I wouldn't go to Brandeis and say, oh my God, that's, that's that, that's a that's a um, that's a that's a that's a segregated university. I say no, good for them. That's a beautiful choice. And black people can go there now. White people, Gentiles can go there now. Mm-hmm. Right? Christians and Muslims can go there now. You know, but it's largely a predominantly and historically Jewish institution, which is great. And what I'm saying similarly is, I'm okay with black folk having that. I'm okay with carving out spaces for ourselves when we've when, when for people but who you have would been never marginal. be okay with it if white people did that. And if I were at Harvard, I mean, excuse me, if I were at Howard. And there were a group of white people who said, you know what, we're the 50 white kids at Howard and we want to have our own space. Cool. I'm good with that. An all white dorm at Howard. You think that'd be, that would go down well? I don't, I, I think it's such a counterfactual hypothetical because most white people don't want to go to Howard because they don't want to be around that many black people. And that's okay. You know what I mean? In fact, most people who go to, you know, ends up going to Howard. 
athletes, oftentimes, for undergrad, not grad, athletes. Because they're a division, they want to be a division one basketball player and they didn't get into Duke or Wake Forest or what they didn't get recruited, but they go, they'll go to Howard, right? Which is a good school, but not the best basketball school. Mm-hmm. It's actually very interesting, interestingly similar to what happens to these black kids when they're going to Duke or Wake Forest. And so, and it's, I'm okay with that. I don't say, well, why are we letting that white guy in as an athlete? Call me crazy, but I think discrimination is discrimination. There's no such thing as positive I agree. discrimination. Now, I want to, I just want to move quickly because mm-hmm. I know we're running out of time and I want to ask you specifically about the. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. How did you feel about the Dave Chappelle thing? Uh oh, uh, like what Dave Chappelle said about me. Eight four six, yeah. You know, I have a thing. You didn't tweet about it, and you tweet a lot, so I was genuinely. I did tweet about it. Oh, I I guess when I woke up, I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, I tweeted immediately about it. I said, you know, I'm not going to be offended by this because I'm a big believer that we need comedians. I think right now we've got we've arrived very suddenly into a politically correct environment where comedians get canceled. They are said that now everything they say is too vulgar, too sexist, too racist, too this and that. Um, And the comedians are there to further the conversation, and they should be offensive to everybody. Every side all the time. And I've seen Dave Chappelle be offensive to conservatives. I've seen him be offensive to liberals. And they're, that space to me um, should, like should be sacred. And so I said, you know, I'd love to meet him. I've been a fan of him my whole life. Um, but I will defend comedians to the death of me to say what they want. They, mm. they need to, their their ground is becoming less and less sacred and they're being canceled too often. That wasn't a gotcha. I, was genu- I just genuinely oh, yeah, wanted to ask yeah. you. I was yeah, no, yeah. Everyone thought I was going to be upset about it. I'm like, do you know my brand? I'm not politically correct, you know? And I think Laura Ingram might be upset, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't seen her or talked to her about mm. it. You know, and I know I know there were some black men who felt like, you know, this is too vulgar. We can't we, we can't be, you know, be talking like that. But this this has always been his brand. So if he had switched it up and suddenly became vulgar, then I would be like, this was, you know, just hateful. But he's always I've seen all of his stuff. He's always taken risk. He's always, you know, really gone in and said stuff like that. So I, I personally believe comedians are in a sacred space and they shouldn't be attacked. Mm. Um Especially in, like in today when we're we're in cancel culture all the time, we need more comedians to just take risks and say stuff. Um, but I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, as a last topic about the LGBTQRSTUVWXYNZ agenda. Um, the agenda that sounds so nefarious. It is agenda. It is agenda. When you start, you know, trying to get policies placed into school um, that allows teachers to. Um, call your child by a different gender and as a parent they're not required to tell you they could be calling your little boy samantha all day at school and they don't have to tell you that's an agenda right when you start trying to systemize it um and you know to make it uh systemized uh systemic it becomes an agenda and when you see how vicious that lobby has become particularly the trans i've said like you had me at the lgb lost me at the t um why why why, why the t the T, because that's when you started telling people they were bigots because they don't want to play the crazy game. So here's my point. Um, I think trans is a, a mental disorder. I think there's tons, you know, gender dysphoria is a mental disorder. There's tons of mental disorders out there. There are people that walk around down the street and think they are Superman. You know, think they can, they have powers and they can fly and they're Batman. And I would never want to see that person attacked, you know. Um, I grew up in uh, a family where one of my uncles had severe mental disorders and thought he was an like Indian from a tribe or something, you know, uh, kind of got it because he was in solitary confinement for too long and he actually went crazy in prison. Um, so mm. I've always been sensitive to people that have, you know, mental disorders. Um, but but when you start saying a society that you now have to pretend that Candace's uncle is an Indian and if you don't, you know, acknowledge him as Pocahontas, then you're a bigot, You're that's, that's wrong. Now you're putting the pressure on me <laughs> to not just be, you know, accepting of this, but now to play the crazy game and to say, if you mispronounce and you don't call him Chief Pocahontas, then you're a bigot. 
Yeah. I don't play that game. I'm like, I'm going to live in reality. You cannot live in reality. You can say how you feel. You can say what you think you see. You can pretend, say that you think that, you know, we're on Mars right now, but I'm not going to pretend that I see Mars because it makes you more comfortable. So I would, obviously I disagree. Um, the, and, and what's interesting is there are people, you say you're, you're with the L and the G and the B. Um, there are people who, you know, 30 years ago would have made the exact same arguments against you for the L, the G, the G and the B. They would have said that there's scientific data, that there's, that these are people who are, who are, who are, who have mental disorders. There's some misalignment between what they desire and what they're supposed to, that there's some kind of gender uh, uh, thing going on that they're confused about. Um, and, 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 you know, I think that we have to do a few things. For me, I think the easy part, and this is the part I think you and I agree on, is that we have to accept and we should accept people um, as they present themselves in the world, right? Like if someone says my pronouns are, if I told you my pronouns were she, um, her, you would address me as she and her, right? No, I wouldn't. Really? No, I would oh, call you Mark. Okay, okay but, you wouldn't, you Mark. but you wouldn't call me he. No, because no, I, I, I mean, I would call you Mark, um, you know, if that was something that made you comfortable. But um, if I saw you- And if I said my name was Jane, would you then call me Jane? If that was your legal name, yes. But you'd only call me by my legal name. Yeah, I call you by your legal name. I don't have an issue with that. But I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to change what you know these established pronouns for male and female because you say you know I'm Mark and here I am. So what, what do you? So so I really want to ask. I'm this. Is, I'm genuinely curious about this. But first, let me just say I, I think that one. This isn't a case of someone thinking there's something that they're not. What people are saying is that there is a misalignment between my sex and my gender. But Disorder. This this. this no, no. That, that's the point. My no, no, mind and my and my body don't match. That's a disorder. That doesn't make it a disorder. It just means that the world may be more diverse than we've previously understood it to be, whether we see it in, in plants, whether we see it in animals. There's all kinds of complexity. And we look in, in history. I mean, even we go back to the continent of Africa, we look, look in Asia. There's all kinds of, of examples of people who have uh, complicated gender performances and complicated understandings of gender and how we perform gender can be different. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess for, my question for you would be, why... If someone identifies as, particularly in a, you know, someone who who you, you engage with, say it's a colleague at work or whomever, a family member, whomever, if they say, "Look, I prefer to be called she and her, and I, I no longer want to be identified by this name," why not? Why not just honor that? If you changed your name, I will honor it. But 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 why not? I mean, I'm sure you call people by nicknames. And all, I'm sure this, you grew up, you grew up in, you grew up in a black neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. people, I know you you know somebody named Peanut, right? Yeah. You're right. You don't say, well, that's not your legal name. I'm, I'm your mama named you Joe. I'm gonna call no, you Joe. I, no, I, no. I'm saying if a name is one thing, but if you're asking me to change pronouns, I'm not gonna do that because these are established pronouns. You're asking me to now change the English language, right? We know why we call female she her girl woman. Okay, these are these are words that have meanings. These are words that have meanings. So this is a book. Right? right. So could it? Could you call this? This is a book, and uh, this is a mug. Could you call this a book and call this a mug? Yes, you could do that if you want to change it. But words have meanings, right? So now, if I switch it and you say, "Well, this mug wants to be called a book," it's a mug. It's just a mug. This is this is the word we've established for mugs. This is the word we've established for books. So you're asking me to change the actual meaning of words to accommodate you. I'm not going to do that. No, now, if, that's I'm not, not going to. I'm not going to do though. that. It is because not only is it a request, you can now get in trouble no, in certain states. I'm that's not for misgendering someone. The, the request of the trans community is not that I'm actually a man, uh, but I want you to pretend I'm a woman. The, the, the argument of the trans community, which I agree with, is no, I am a woman. 
And so I want you to revert to me. But they're, you're, they're not, you're not a woman. So that's, mm. that's the problem. So this is what I say is now you're, you've asked me to, to take on your mental disorder, right? So I am okay with the fact, the, the argument from my uncle who thought he was, thinks he's a you know, Native American from a certain tribe is that this is what he thinks. He thinks, but he's not. Okay, so I, I'm not then to say to me that that argument is valid because he thinks it. No, just because you think something doesn't make it real. Okay, but that's exactly what gender is. Gender is, is exactly about an experience and a performance and a social construct. It's not a social construct. Stop saying a social construct. To say that words don't have meaning and they're socially constructed means nothing. And I'll tell you well, why. They are, they are. But you say that, but then you'll let this, me get. This wasn't always a book. This, okay, this so could then, be called mug. So it then just then I, not you know to what be. it is? Our entire discussion about Black America meant nothing. There's no such thing as racial injustice. See what I did there? Because black is a social construct. Yeah, but we live in a social reality. So within that social so reality... You, it can't be both, Mark. So you either sure think that be. the gender wage gap is BS, that feminism is wrong, and that racial disparities are all BS because everything's a social construct. You're either going to go full postmodernist and say nothing is real and it's all made up, or you're going to acknowledge that there are some hard, concrete truths. If there are hard, concrete truths, you and I are black, okay? That's not going to change because... We wake up and we decide, you know what, today I'm white and it's just how I feel and today I'm Chinese. No, no, no. You and I are black, okay? We are acknowledged as black people. We're seeing down as black people. Mm. I am a woman. You are a man, okay? Now, if I want to wake up tomorrow and say I'm a man, you want to say you're a woman and we want to play the crazy game, we can do that. To then say all of society now is to pretend that it was all a social, no, it was a social contract. You were born a male. I was born a female. Yes, that's a sex. We are black. Okay, it's a color though. Black is a, it's a word that we use so, to say a sex. Female is a word that we use that has a meaning. Yes, it means you are you are born with a vagina. You can have children. You have a uterus. When you are a male, you are born with a penis. You can you can get a woman pregnant. These words have real meanings. We cannot suddenly get into society where there are no truths. So so to acknowledge a social construct does not mean that we ignore biology, and it doesn't it doesn't mean that we don't have. Can men get pregnant? Uh, depends. I know, I know. What does it I, depend on? I know trans men that can get pregnant. That, that means it's a woman. Only one sex can well, that, get that's pregnant. That's a circular argument. That's it's not a circular the argument. Yeah. It's proving my thing. There is a truth, a concrete truth. You have to be born with a uterus to have a baby. Only women can get pregnant. The fact that we've arrived in a society right. that's the part I'm disagreeing with. That's the part I'm disagreeing with. There's nothing with. to disagree with. It. These are facts. So you can say that this person who is pregnant identifies as a man. That person was born a woman. I can tell you that every single time because only women can have sex because there are concrete truths about life. Have babies. That, that, can, can, I mean, can have uh, babies, pardon. And that, that is a hard truth about life. You cannot make that go away because you want to call a man, somebody who has a beard and dresses like a dude a woman. Only if it's pregnant, I'll, I can tell you exactly what it is. It's a woman. So, so I, I'll give you, let's go back to the social construct thing because that'll, it'll answer the thing you just said. I'm not ignoring what you just said. I want to tie it together. So the, the idea of, my point was that a social construct doesn't ignore physical realities, right? Um, social, the social construct is about how we as a society make sense of those physical realities, right? So for example, um, you said we're black, sure, right? Um, I'm trying to think of, a, 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 you pick a light-skinned black person, right? They're black, right? We'd agree on that. Mm -hmm. Now let's go to the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the PR, let's go to Puerto Rico. Let's go to Jordan. Let's go to Iraq. Let's go to Sudan. Let's go to Ghana, right? And each of the, and let's go to South Africa. I'm, I'm picking these places very specifically because they have different racial logics and racial paradigms. And what it means to be black here, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a universal blackness, right? That, 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 that in, in Dominican, there might be five different other racial categories, right? And there, there are some light skinned black folk here who, when they go to Ghana, get ready, get basically seen as white, right? Because of how we socially construct it. Doesn't mean my biology changed. Doesn't mean my physical reality changed, but how society engages this stuff 
is what makes it a social construct. So similarly, uh, when it comes so so I'm not ignoring the realities of race. So so with race and racism in America, and then I'm going to take it back to the gender thing. When it comes to race and racism in America, it's yes, biologically we're all the same, right? Black people, white people. There's an infinitesimal difference between a black person and a white person in terms of our genetics, right? This is this superficial stuff. But I, that doesn't, that, that's a biological reality, right? It's a biological fact, right? Um, just like as biologically true as me being born with a penis, right? Um, but the truth is, but the, but the idea that there's social meanings attached to that blackness that make people fear me or that make people think that the, this per, that person's life is worth more because they're white or whatever, those are social meanings that are arbitrary Correct. and different. So, so to, to acknowledge social constructs doesn't mean you ignore biological realities. But you just did that when you said that men could give birth. So, so similarly, what I'm saying is, is that I'm not denying the biological reality of maleness, of, of the genitalia we're assigned at birth and what we can do with those body parts. I'm not denying that. That's a biological reality. Again, the social meaning I'm attaching to it is what I'm saying is more complicated. It's a, but it's not complicated. Can men give birth? Sometimes. That's my answer. Yes. And the answer that is that is crazy. And this is we we cannot. It's just, <laughs> just, it's just crazy. We cannot allow this to happen. But you wouldn't say the definition of being a woman is the ability to give birth. And I'm not saying it's, but I'm, only women can give birth is a factually true statement. Only women can give birth. There, there's only one type of human being. Only that people can with give uteruses birth. and vaginas. Yes, and can, stuff give, can birth. give birth. Only women can birth. You I'm not men dis- I'm not cannot disagreeing with give that. birth. I'm not, and that, here's what I think we're talking past each other. What I'm saying is, I'm not disputing the fact that certain body parts yield certain kinds of possibilities, right? What I'm disagreeing with is the idea that that is the measure of whether or not you're a man or a woman in, in, in society. Okay, but it has now come to a point where if you say that only women can give birth, you are called a bigot. That is crazy. That's nuts. So if you say, like J.K. Rowling did when she got canceled by the Harry Potter cast, that only women can menstruate, okay? Can men get their period? Can you, can, can you help my audience? Can men get their period? Some can. Okay. Yeah, trans men. Some, there are some trans men who can. Um... And again, I, I think it's okay to ask interesting questions. I think it's okay to have intellectual debates. But I, I don't think that we ever want to enter a space where we deny the, the, the humanity. And I'm not saying you are, but to deny the humanity or the experiences of other people. I'm, like I said, I was totally okay with trans until it became a demand. You're, what you are denying is my ability to be an intelligent human being, right? You're denying, you're denying my ability to talk about science and biology in a meaningful way. You are now making your existence is actually infringing on mine, okay? How so? And because when you make it a requirement now that I have to pretend that men can give birth and men can mention and there needs to be tampons as the ACLU is fighting for and males be- and male restrooms. And if I don't see the reason, the importance of that, then I'm a bigot. I'm someone that's accept- no, no, no. I accept people- you if you want to run around and you want to wear a dress and you want to call yourself Tiffany and you want to put but a you won't pillow. Call me in Tiffany. You, you, if, if you want, I, I, I don't need to know your name. It's a main thing to me. If you want to call, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't believe your name is Tiffany. You know, if a person comes up to me and they're in a dress and a, and a skirt and they say my name's Tiffany. Okay, cool, Tiffany, cool, right? right? But when it becomes Candace is a bigot because she won't acknowledge that you know, Tiffany, Tiffany, the man got her period and, and can have a baby. I'm not playing that game. We, I am. I will so never So tomorrow, back I'll come down. on your show tomorrow. And I have decided uh, that or a year from now, uh, suddenly I have I, I, I have reimagined my identity and I have I have I have recognized and affirmed my identity as, as a trans woman. And I no longer want to identify uh, as Mark. I want to identify as use your example as Tiffany. Mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't be like, this book says Mark, you're Mark. You'd, you'd call me Tiffany. I'd call you Tiffany, but I'm not going to call you she and her because that has real meaning. And I'm not going to play the What's game. What's compromised by that is what, what I'm trying to understand. What? My, my, my reality. You're now saying you've transformed your reality and now I have to pretend that words have no meanings. And they do have meanings, right? So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to call you. Hi, Tiff. 
How you doing, Tiff? Did you have a good day, Tiff? Great, Tiff. I'm not going to then say, she, she, I'm not doing that. And if people cannot, if, you, if people, the demand. But you won't misgender me either. What? I'll just call you Tiffany. But, and if they say, where Tiffany and go, I, I you're not going to be like, he just left. You'll say, she just left. I'll probably slip up a, you know, once or twice. But I'm not talking about Tiffany mistakes, but I'm left. saying you wouldn't intentionally misgender me. No, I wouldn't intentionally misgender you, but I don't want, I don't want Tiffany in my bathroom. I don't want Tiffany but in my spaces. But you also don't spaces. want tampons in the other bathroom. Right? That's what I don't get. No, I don't care. I don't care. It's, I think it's stupid. I think it's foolish. I think it's dumb. But if you, if that's really where guys want to go, do it. I don't care. It's not my business. It doesn't impact me. I don't have to go in the bathroom. But I don't want Tiffany in my bathroom. And you okay? Are you okay with gender neutral bathrooms? That's how most bathrooms are. They just, that's all. Go on the plane. They're all gender neutral. No, I got you. But yeah. I'm saying bathroom, I'm about, I'm, bathroom, fine. But cool. I'm saying designating a specific one, like in public spaces, like like restaurants. Yeah, or, I hate that they say gender neutral because usually they just say bathroom. Like you don't they don't need to say gender neutral. It just says bathroom, and we all understood that. That just seems to be an extra step of virtue signaling to say gender neutral. You just put bathroom. Everyone knows what that means. means no, but like, a lot of times in places, like for example, in our university, uh, we have male bathrooms, we have female bathrooms, and yeah. then we have gender neutral bathrooms. You could just put bathroom. Everyone knows what it means. You put WC, everyone knows what it means. It means anybody can go here. That's always been that way since the beginning of time. And then suddenly the trans lobby wanted to say gender neutral. And suddenly we had to put gender neutral. That's on. so it's fascinating because like, I find it actually be the right. In this case, and I'm not. Planes. Do they say gender neutral? I, or I'm with you. Bathroom? I'm with you. I mean, grandmom's house. Yeah. Thanksgiving, right? I mean, no one called it gender. I, I'm with you. Yeah. But I often find that it's the, it, it's, it's the, it's the anti-trans community. That's like, oh my God, a gender neutral bathroom. Because it's, it's the God it's, made bathroom for man, bathroom for woman. No, I'm like, what are you talking about? No, they've always been just bathrooms, usually at small places, just bathrooms. It's fine. But like, it's the, I can't stand the, you know, preamble to the Constitution. Any person can go here. We don't care whether you would like, shut but up. I, just think that, bathroom. I think that's a good thing. I think no, it's just annoying. Fr- it's just uh, the constant virtue signaling. Just shut up. Just put it's, about, it's about affirming people's identity. Don't, you and, don't need your uh, identity affirmed on a bathroom sign. If you need you that. You do if you've been denied access. To, it just says bathroom. That's privilege. It's, that, just, it's not privilege. That's cisgender privilege. It oh really is. Oh my God. Stop with these made up turns. Cisgender privilege. It's just a bathroom. All words are made up. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just it's a bathroom. It's a necessary word. It's just, like, and no, what I'm like, saying is if you've been, again, if you've been constantly denied access to something, affirming that you can come here matters. Because there, I mean, there's a long history of trans Just write bathroom. Right, and I'm saying, just right bathroom historically has still excluded people who are who are who are visibly gender nonconforming. They have when they are, if you go throughout history, you know how many people are kicked out of restaurants and not even allowed to sit in the restaurant, much less use the bathroom because their their gender doesn't seem to line up with what we society's expectations. And so, saying you can come here too is a sign of saying we welcome you. It's just like saying, it's just like when you see like um an ally an ally sign or 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 a um or or, or a rainbow flag on a restaurant. It's not saying that anyone who doesn't have one means gay people can't come in, but the point is because places have been so hostile, affirming that you can come in. Nothing annoys me more than that crap. I mean, I I tell you, nothing annoys me more than seeing that crap everywhere all the time. It's just, you know, you got to have the Black Lives Matter flag, the LGBT flag, the the, this sign, this sign. It's like, dude, since when are people not allowed to just buy furniture? I don't need you to have 18 different signs. Like, I just want to walk into the furniture store. Because people aren't welcome. Not would you be okay if they were American flag? Now, Would you, you be mad at an American now, flag? Can you help me? When were gay people in America not allowed to buy furniture? You're gonna have to help me out with that. It's not specific to furniture, but gay people. No, I'm, I'm a, saying like it's I'm, every store now. It's every store. They right, have to put a flag. There is a historical narrative. When of, were gay people not allowed to go 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 the, into McDonald's? As lo- as long as there have been McDonald's and public, and this isn't specific to McDonald's. I'm saying that in terms of public accommodations, people who who identify as gender nonconforming. Mm-hmm. We, we can talk about we can talk about gay, lesbian, bisexual. But I'm talking specifically right now about trans folk. Um, 
yes, they're often denied access to public spaces like restaurants, like furniture stores, like like hospitals, etc. And part of the reason, and, and again, there's plenty of that on this, is that when they're in public space, they're often criminalized. They're often seen as sex workers. They're often seen as doing something illicit, even if they're just walking down the street. So when you, the reason you see an overrepresentation of trans women, for example, uh, being being stopped and, and searched and frisked or, or apprehended or questioned, even when they've done nothing or presumed to be doing sex work just because they're on a corner, like literally they could be crossing the street, uh, is because there's an expectation of who and what they are, a social construct. And so, yes, to, to say, look, you can come here. We want you here. We won't be judged here. This is a safe haven here is entirely reasonable. If I had a university, to use your 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 your, your argument earlier, um, and I want to, I, I think it's okay for a university on, on the website to say, hey, we, we value diversity of opinion. We want conservatives too, right? Now you might say, well, why do I need to say that? Conservatives are, should be allowed anywhere. But you would say conservatives are, universities are hostile spaces to, to conservatives. So if I wanted to signal to conservatives that they were welcome here too, I would have to go above and beyond to say that because they're not, they're typically not. And so I would, by your argument, and so I'm saying similarly, if a place is denying access historically, a country to, to queer folk or to trans folk, then I'm saying, yeah, we got to do something extra to mm, say that. Maybe we should come up with a flag for conservative people. I, like I think that. it's red, white, and blue. It has like 50, 50 stars. Oh, just America. <laughs> That's it. We'll take it. Everyone start putting American flags so we know that it's safe or maybe, for no, conservatives maybe it's the to Confederate go in. One. Maybe it's the Confederate one. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, whatever. Um, I will wrap this by saying I think this was a very important discussion. Yeah, and this is I, fun. Yeah, I, I think it's there needs to be more of this. We don't have to agree, um, but we cannot be scared to have the conversation. People benefit from seeing different perspectives in the black community. We are not all a monolith. I disagree with Mark on virtually everything he has said here. Um, but you don't I will know defend. what that does for me and my fans. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I will defend his right to say it um, to the death of me. I think it, we, we need more diversity of thought and more diversity of opinion. And I deeply respect you for coming onto the show and saying what you believe Thank on you and sticking me. by Seriously, your guns. Thank you for inviting me. And everybody should buy this book. It's called Nobody, Casualties of America's World. Well, first, world. you're going to get two minutes where you actually can pitch whatever you want. Oh, really? So yeah, we're going to be, we wrap up every episode by allowing you to look into the camera. Oh, wow. And you can say, what we kind of say is encouraging you, like if you wish that your one message could fall upon the ears of every person in America, yeah. um, uh, what would it be? Sort oh, of a thing, right? Cool. So are you ready? I'm ready. On your mark, get set world. I give you Mark Lamont Hill. Wow. This is, I didn't expect this. I'm so nervous. <laughs> um, first of all, I, we're in a desperate and, and trying time. It's more important than this book. Um, and right now we need radical imagination. We need to not be prisoner to the moment we're in. Um, we don't need easy solutions. We don't need simply solu simple solutions. We need to suspend all of our disbelief and invest in each other, believe in each other, and figure out new, more amazing and ambitious dreams than we've ever had before. It's the only way we can get out of this, this, this moment of darkness, of violence, of pain, of inequality, of injustice, of deep harm. Uh, we can't run from history. We can't escape history. Um, but we can wrestle with it and we can ultimately not be prisoner to it. And I'm proud of what's happening in the, on the streets. I'm proud of what's happening around the world. And I'm proud to be engaged in dialogue um, that gets us there. I, I don't like to plug stuff, but I, I do think at this moment, um, this book is actually useful. It's called Nobody, uh, Casualties of America's War on the Vulnerable from Ferguson to Flint and Beyond. I wrote this, uh, I wrote this uh, six years ago. Uh, it came out four years ago to talk about Flint and Baltimore and Ferguson and all these things. I didn't want to just talk about what it meant to be killed by police or what it meant to have lead in your water. I wanted to talk about the historical processes that got us there. I wanted to talk about uh, the conditions underneath that keep us there. But I also wanted to leave with a sense of hope that, again, we don't have to be prisoner to this moment. We don't have to be uh, what we once were, that the world can be different and better or more fair and more just and more free 
uh, than we could even imagine. And I believe that all of us together can make that happen. That was great. I like you were ready for that. Look at that. 20 seconds left. That was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a wrap. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.